in what's going on in the world. And even before things started getting weird and ugly, how many know that's still the time to trust the Lord because you never know what's going to happen in life. So be, please don't discount this as me wanting something from you. I want to give you something. And hear what I'm going to say. I want to give you something that I think you can carry for the rest of your life and can make a difference in your life starting today. And it's about obedience to what the Bible says. Now, this is not a beatdown, but and there's no matter how we try to excuse away what the Bible says about tithes and offerings, it's still there. It's there without a doubt. And are the promises of those who are obedient to it. It's not just tithes and offerings, but the consequences and the results as we solve problems in life. And God's promises will meet our needs. How many of you have needs in your life financially? Come on, be honest. Y'all do. If you don't, if you don't have a need financially in your life, see me after the service. Okay, we'll be talking. Okay, but uh, the promise is that God would meet our needs in his word. The problem changes how we deal with life and brings us to the place where we begin to trust God. When we have financial problems or physical problems or spiritual problems, those problems become challenges to take us into the future, not beat us back. The provision is always our willingness to trust God in, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, or spiritual. How many of you know in this world we really need to trust the Lord? Because we certainly can't trust Congress. And I'm not even going to talk about everything else in government. So we understand Jesus taught about the lilies of the field. And if you remember, he said, the lilies of the field, God takes care of them. They neither toil nor they never spin, and God always watches out for them. People read that story and they figure, oh, well, God will just make it work. The problem is, you're not a lily. And the problem is, lilies of the field have no consequence for the future. You and I do. And so we understand that tithing is about 10% of what we own and what we possess and what God has given us. So in just a moment, we're going to receive the offering. But for that reason, your church for five decades has been faithful to give tithes and offerings into the community as a church and as a staff. And it's a biblical principle. And over the years, we've done so much for so many places. And I believe it's the reason that you have been, as a giving congregation, willing to take care of other people's needs, that God has always taken care of us. Has he not? Five decades, he's never failed us. We've done things like purchase chairs for fledgling churches, just getting started in storefronts, buying chairs for them so they'd be able to, to meet. Um, we paid for a youth pastor's salary for one year with nobody knowing about it to help a church have a youth pastor and have a youth ministry. We've spent time and effort in Lahore, Pakistan. That's why Pakistan is on the back wall. And we purchased, matter of fact, you got together and you purchased a car for a pastor in Pakistan who was traveling hours a Sunday from church to church to church on a bicycle in Pakistan. So you purchased a car for him, and now he goes from church to church to church and meets the needs of people. 
you sent missions and missionary efforts and finances to orphanages in an orphanage in Haiti. Matter of fact, I was in Haiti when the government fell. I forget what year that was. And I saw the impact of that orphanage that you supported with your gifts and your tithes and your offerings. You reached out and you purchased a bloodhound dog so that him at PD could use that dog to find lost people. And that dog over and over has found lost children, uh, found uh, Alzheimer's patients wandering in the middle of the night. Other departments in the Inland Empire have called your Hemet Police Department to use your dog to find someone. You paid for that. You did that. Not this church, you, because this church wouldn't exist without you. And so you understand that in 2015, the Lord led us to do something as a church, and in 2015, not knowing what was coming, we felt led to start a school. And that school, as you know now, is in its eighth year, working on its ninth year. And when we started the school, we had no idea it was a faith issue. As a matter of fact, I haven't said this publicly, but I'm going to say it. Susan and I, to see the school started, cashed in our retirement and put it in the school. Not because we want you to pat us on the back. That's eight years ago, long since gone. But because, because people like you, you give and you support the ministry, that school exists. And in fact, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, while the school system during COVID, public school system shut down for a very, very small, short time, your school was closed, and then boom, we opened it up. We said, we don't care. No mask. We're having care. We're going to provide education for children. End of sentence. You did that. That was you. Those are your gifts and your tithes and your offerings. There were parents during that time that were able to send their children to this school and go back to work because they had to stay home with their children. That had incredible impact on their lives. And so... With the public schools closed, you stepped forward and did. And public schools had to do what the government said. But we live by a different government. Okay? And um, your church has financially supported this school and continues to do so. A lot of people don't know that we provide a free facility, a free campus for the school so that the tuitions can be lower so more parents can put their children into a good educational system where they'll learn about Jesus and, and live and enjoy education in a bully-free environment where wokeism is not allowed. We, we are racially diverse as a school, and the children are safe. Girls don't have to worry about boys showing up in their bathroom. And to understand that is while the public education system is doing the best it can with what the government is offering it, you are supporting hundreds of families who come through each day during the week, line up, up and down the street, from Stepson all the way down towards the bowl and through the parking lot. We have to, as a staff, get out of the parking lot before 3 o'clock or sometimes we can't get out. That's a good thing. You paid for that, your gifts and your tithes and your offerings. 
And so add to it the fact that we as a church have reached out and through your tithes and offerings. So when you tithe to this church, you're supporting more than air conditioning. They don't pay for air conditioning. The school doesn't pay for a facility. We cover their insurance, safety, security, the whole nine yards. You turned around and purchased safety systems that block off the campus and lock the campus down. You, your tithes and offers provided a full security system where your school and your campus is on camera, where children will be safe. I applaud you. You need to know that what you've done has made a difference in people's lives. Because isn't that what church is about? And that's what it should be about. And so as we receive our tithes and offerings today, I want you to understand that we respect the fact that you have needs. But I also want to let you know that Susan and I don't have a clue about what you do financially. I don't look at the giving records. Susan doesn't look at the giving records. I don't know what you do because that's not important. What's important is God knows what you do. And I can't respond in your behalf, but he can, and he does. We've, we've heard testimonies of children, a little, <laughs> a little kindergartner put in in the middle of the, several months ago, put in the school system. The parents finally said, out of the public system, let's go into the private. We want a good Christian education. That little kindergarten boy has gone home, and the testimonies come back that it's actually changed his family, and his parents. That's the gospel in action through a child. So the Bible talks about tithes and offerings. The tithe, I'll finish with this, is 10% of our income. And the Bible says that if we can't trust God with our tithe, how can we say we trust him with everything else? People make excuses all the time. Well, well, so forth and so on, you know. But like all the other churches in the community that we work with and that we'll be meeting with tonight, Bible Fellowship, Calvary Chapel, Cornerstone, Hope in the Valley, Victory Outreach, 412, The Well, and the list goes on. A people like you who are supporting the kingdom of God, that while the economy of the world spins out of control, God never fails to take care of his people. Never fails. But he also watches and sees who does what and who obeys. Because tithing is not a request in the Bible. It's not a demand either. It's an opportunity. It's not a demand. And so we understand that obeying God's resources and as we receive our tithes and offerings here in just a moment, and you're going to come up and you're going to put your tithes and offerings, again, no matter what you put in there, Susan and I don't know. That's not important. What's important is that he knows. And he will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. And you are not a lily in the field. You have a mission and you have a purpose in your life. And God wants to take care of you. But don't miss the opportunity to get him involved in your finances. I've heard people over the years say, but I can't live on 90%. Really? Really? I've done it for 54 years now, and it's never failed. 
I got a room full of people have done it, and God has never failed. And so in the process, as you give, let's give in faith and let's pray that God would continue to meet the needs of your church. I promise. Last thing. Your church has a $1.2 million loan on the property. Your property has officially, I have the appraisal, been appraised at $4.2 million, meaning you have $3.1 million in equity. Problem is you can't pay, bill, pay bills with equity. And you know that if you have a mortgage on your own home. So in the process, let's believe that God's going to pay off the mortgage. If you happen to have $1.2 million, see me when the service is over, if you would please. And finally, as we start this today, we're going to start what we used to do in the past, which is called a button offering. And at the button offering, during the time of offering, from here on until the Lord has us stop it, what we're going to ask you to do is if you need a financial miracle in your own life, and I know many, if not most of you do, then we're going to ask you to put in the offering something like a button. Now, it doesn't have to be a button. I don't care what it is. But when you put it in the offering, it's going to go in a dish in my office where we have our staff meetings. And when we pray over your blue prayer request that you turn in, we're also going to pray over your buttons. And we're going to believe God's going to give you a breakthrough. That God's going to do something. Because in a world where the economy is crashing, and if it does, God will meet your needs according to his riches, not the kingdoms of this world. And so if you need faith and prayer, when you come up for the offering, then you drop something like a button. Now, then if you grab a button, don't take it from a strategic location on your body, okay? But grab a button or anything else that you might have that you can put in here that will represent your need, okay? Thank you for letting me take this offering this morning and believe God for you. Would you stand? Get your offering. Hold it out, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've heard what we've said about you. You are always faithful, and you are always true. Heavenly Father, I lift up your people that they would look to you to meet their needs in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come, receive. Okay.
All right. Get your Bibles out and hold them up. Say this with me out loud. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. Has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life and the life of those around me will be changed by the Word. Go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Again, I want to remind you about tonight. Going to be a great time. Going to have a great time. Dress warm. Bring a chair. We're going to be out on the lawn at Bible Fellowship Church with all the churches, and we're going to burn the place down with Jesus. Now, Romans chapter 8, while you're still holding in uh, on your Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what the world seeks to do in terms of putting pressure on the church or squeezing the world in every way possible, socially, racially, financially, medically, whatever the case is, God's always faithful to watch out for his people. And while the world once again teeters on the brink of global conflict, and I mean that seriously, while the world teeters on the brink of global conflict with communism looming in the horizon where Vladimir Putin and China are now convening they are meeting and converging now, engaging in discussion about how they're going to divide up the Pacific Rim nations when America falls. They're, they're in that discussion right now. And all the Pacific Rim nations will fall under communism just like that. And the grip on the world while whatever is going on in the Middle East comes with it. They, while it, the NSA, the American democracy, has failed, we're, 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 we're failing right now with our democracy. It's not working. It's not functioning. We've lost border security. It's been eradicated. Drug cartels now come across the border freely without impunity, and the education of future generations is teetering. And we understand that the Middle East now is at war. It's not going to be at war. It is now at war, fully engaged. And we are being drawn into a land where the battles of Armageddon are looking closer and closer, as the book of Revelation talked about Armageddon. And the last world war may well be taking place could be in our lifetime. Gee, what a positive message, Pastor Bob. <laughs> but it's a truth. I'm not lying. I'm just talking fact. That's, you know, it's truth. And so I'm reminded of the prophet Ezekiel's word. And I want to remind you and I so that your faith stands strong in whatever comes. The prophet Ezekiel said this in 33.10. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, which represents the people who believe in Jehovah. 
Thus you shall speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins are on us, and we pine away in them, how then should we live? How should we be living? Because how we live affects the world we're living in. You say, well, me? Yeah, you. Every believer affects the world, the city, the community, the job, the school, wherever you are. You take with you the kingdom of God, and it's established wherever you are. Now, maybe you don't consciously think that, and we should. But while the NSA and American democracy, like I said, is struggling, and the Middle East is now fully engaged in war, we're on the precipice of a global conflict. And as followers of Jesus, there has to be a time that is appropriate for us to answer that question. How should you and I be living? Because how you and I live during all that's going on is going to affect, number one, us. Number two, our immediate families. Number three, even before church, our neighborhoods and where we work. And then finally, our church. And so we understand that the answer is not what is God going to do? How many Christians are sitting around going, well, God, when are you going to do something? When actually, the answer is, God is saying, when are you going to do something? How then should you and I be living is what was asked of the prophet. What should you and I do? Well, what can I do? Stand tall. Live your life in justice. Love people even when they don't love you. Take care of the needs of people. Be faithful and walk and live in integrity to God's word. Those are values that will take you through any situation. To answer the question personally, our lives and how we live the truth of the scriptures. That's the bottom line. What does the Bible say about how you and I should be living? What does the Bible say about our ethics, about our morals, about our finances again? about our desire to see people's lives changed. You, like me, came into the kingdom of God through a supernatural encounter, not a religious encounter. encounter. You and I came to the kingdom of God being touched by the presence of a love we could never explain or understand. That we simply said, I'm tired of living the way I'm living I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm miserable. I'm tired. I'm done. And God says, that's time for me. All you got to do is invite me in. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be religious. All you have to do is open up your heart and be willing because that's what he wants to do. So how then shall we live? Not not a, not a question that we should avoid in any case. Ask the Pharaoh of Egypt when that statement was made. How should we live? What, what, what should we trust in? God's ready to do whatever we're willing to let him do to us and through us. Ask the Pharaoh of Egypt when Janus and Jambres, 
the two magicians who stood behind Pharaoh's throne when Moses stood right in front of Pharaoh to take the people of God into the future. And Janus and Jambres, two magicians from behind Pharaoh's throne, stepped out, threw the rod down, and their rod became a serpent. And Moses stepped forward with the kingdom of God and his responsibility to share the kingdom with even the Pharaoh of Egypt. Threw his rod down, and you know what happened. His rod turned into a serpent and ate their serpent. We can have Janice and Jambres in the White House, in Congress, in the Senate, in all the political halls. But God will always win out when his people trust him. He will always do what is right by his people. And so God has placed his reputation in our hands. His reputation is in your hands and in my hands. When you declare yourself to be a believer, you immediately step forward and people begin to look at you and begin to evaluate God through your life, just like me. And that's an important thing for us to understand because God has placed his reputation into our care and tending. That's incredible. If I was God, I wouldn't trust you. me too, that you understand that. So Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, Paul says this, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not by might, not by power, but it's by his spirit. People yielded to do what needs to be done, to do what's right by others, to care for others and tend to others and to love on others and let them know that the message of the gospel is true. That's what's been entrusted to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to read a story here real quick. And King Saul, the king of the nation of Israel, and Jonathan, his son. King Saul is now running from the uh, Philistine army. He's running from the enemies of God. He's not challenging them anymore. He's a king that's become so self-centered and so about his own reputation. He's more concerned about what he looks like than God looks like. And it's because of men like him that Ezekiel ended up prophesying. How then should you be living, King Saul? What is it that you're doing? And why are you doing it? You're failing in the purposes of the kingdom. And now... The kingdom of Israel is being challenged. And so we understand that in this time, King Saul was under siege by the Philistines, and they were winning. Israel wasn't winning. The economy was teetering. War was on the brink. And the people of God were up for what they needed to do, but their leader sat on the sidelines. Even if others do not stand for the kingdom of God, it doesn't change, we will. Because we understand what's at stake. It's not just our lives. It's not just you and me. It's not America. It's the world and the people in it. 
And God's looking for a people whose hearts hurt for people. That hunger for people to know and to be obedient. James 4.17 in the New Testament. To him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. Sin is rebellion. And I'm not suggesting that we're living in rebellion. But I am suggesting that much of the church in America is. They bunkered. They become silent. They're quiet. And they continue going on, meeting like we do. Meeting and gathering and having services. But yet, are we having an impact? Are we willing to do whatever's necessary? Are we willing to stand up for the cause for which Jesus gave his life? And the Father raised him from the dead? And then the Father said, go, son, live through them. What a charge, but what a challenge. What an opportunity. Let's pick up the story in chapter 14, verse 1. King Saul and his son Jonathan sitting under a tree while the battle rages and the enemies of God are in full force and raging back. Pick it up, verse 1. And it came to pass upon that day that Jonathan, son of Saul, that's the king, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us, let us together, that's a unifying factor, go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side, but he told not his father. So here's Jonathan, King Saul's son, and Jonathan recognizes that his father has completely become inept. His father is hiding under a tree with 600 of his crack military special forces with his son. And he's hiding from the enemy. He's not engaging the enemy anymore. Listen, verse 2. And Saul tarried in the utmost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. So he's surrounded, he's safe. While the battle rages, he's absent without leave. And he's a leader. Now watch. And Ahiah, the son of Ahibtub, Ichabod, which means without God, brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. So now what happens is, Jonathan has slipped away. He's gotten away from his father. His father's too busy and everything else. Doesn't know that his son is gone. Watch verse 4. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over where? To the Philistines. Jonathan, Jonathan sneaks out because he's no, he knows his father won't let him go. And Jonathan sneaks out and he goes where his father should be to do what his father should do. He didn't hate his father. He just recognized his ineptness and his unwillingness. Now watch what happens. Pick it up again, verse 4. 
but between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other was Sina. One means to pierce, and one means to be white. Verse 5. The forefront of the one was uh, situated northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man, now listen to what Jonathan does. He snuck away, he has his armor bearer with him. He snuck away, and he's going after thousands of Philistines. You get the picture. Jonathan and his armor bearer are going after the Philistine army. Tells you something about his character, okay? And Jonathan said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised, ungodly, unrighteous. Listen to this. That it may be that the Lord will work for us. And notice he says, maybe. He's not 100% sure what's going to happen. He's not going to stay under that tree and be quiet. He has a resolve and understands what's at stake. God's reputation. Oh, Jesus. That it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint, I love this, to the Lord to save by many or by few. He says, this is no big deal for God. Let me say to you, it's no big deal for God to deal with what's being done in our nation and in the world. It is no big deal for God. It is absolutely no big deal. God can do it if he can just find somebody that'll get out from under a tree, get into the community, and do what needs to be done. That's what's at stake. Verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. In other words, one mind, one heart. They were in absolute agreement. His armor bearer says, We're going to do this and I'm with you. I'm going to do it on your faith, Jonathan. I see something in you. I'm telling you before God, there are Christians in the world right now that are looking for somebody to stand up for the purposes of God so they can follow them. We need leaders in America like the pastors in our community that I've mentioned and others I have not that are standing up for the purposes of God. Congregations coming together, doing what needs to be done to honor the purposes of God. That's what this is about. And so listen to what he says again. And the armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. Jonathan's armor bearer was with him before Jonathan left. Did you get that? He was already with Jonathan. I'm sure Jonathan started scooting away from his father and getting farther and farther away. And his armor bearer didn't stand next to Saul, the king. He went with Jonathan because they had the same heart. Armor bearer didn't know what Jonathan was going to do, but they had a heart 
Something had to happen. Something needed to be done. So he says, according to thy heart, verse 8. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto the men, these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. He says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go over and we're going, hey, Philistines, check it out. It's me and the little guy holding my stuff. Watch. If they say unto us, now listen to what he says. If they, the Philistines, say unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up to them. But if they say thus, come unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hands, and this shall be a sign to us. Now listen what Jonathan says. No matter what they say, we're going. No matter what the world does, no matter how they threaten us, no matter how they look to us in our own eyes, we will do what is right at any price and any cost. And he said, listen to what he says now. Watch what he says. But if they say unto us, come up unto us, we will go. Uh, and uh, this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them, verse 11, discovered themselves. In other words, they stood up and went, hey, guys. How you doing? And they're thinking, what are these two idiots doing? They're obviously Jews. They're dressed like Jews. They sound like Jews. They're Jews. They're toast. We're going to have them for lunch. Watch what happens. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. Why did they say that? Why did they say that that's where the Hebrews were? Because that's what they were doing. They were hiding. Don't think for one minute that the world doesn't know that much of the church in America is struggling within its own walls. And it is time for the church in America, us included, to get off our blessed assurance and take charge and do what needs to be done. To take a stand for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Now listen, verse 12. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan. And he answered the armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto the, his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands? God's hands. God was putting his victory on two guys. Watch what happens. And Jonathan climbed up in his hands upon his feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they slew after him. And the first slaughter with Jonathan and his armor bearer made, uh, uh, was about 20 men. So here's what happens. Jonathan says ultimately in the story, God can save by many or he can save by few. It doesn't matter to God. What God is looking for is people in the hour and in the day that we live to take a stand, to love people even when we're not being loved, to care for people that we don't know, to get involved in the lives of people 
that we have access to and to recognize that it may well be that the Philistines aren't going to come after us, but that Jesus is coming after us. And when he comes, how many people will be left behind because we lived in fear? And you understand what it's, what's at stake. That Jonathan said, God's not restrained by many of our fear. He's going to do what he wants to do. And Jonathan and his armor bearer said, we know what God's going to do. The only thing we want to do is we want to be a part of it. And no matter what it costs, no, what it, no matter what it takes for us to do what needs to be done, it's incumbent on you and I that we carry the message of salvation to a lost world, to the people in our community. We have the power, the power to share the truth with people, to put them in a place where they have the chance to make a decision for Jesus. That may be you today. That could be you. You're thinking, God, would God, would God pay attention to me? How significant am I? Jonathan and his armor bearer didn't have a problem with God keeping an eye on them. You shouldn't have a problem with God keeping an eye on you. The only thing you have to be willing to do is walk out of the camp that is doing nothing and walk into God's camp where everything happens according to his will and his purposes. And people are loved and people are cared for. Give him a praise. living our lives out loud that others might know. How many, how many, and I'm not being judgmental on other people. That's, that's I, I, I can't judge you. I don't judge you. I, I'm, I'm working on Bob. But I know while I'm working on me, so many of you are working on you. And while the world spins out of control, and while the communists look at dividing the Pacific Rim, while South America is in the claws of drug addiction, and it's pouring over the borders of America, while the Middle East is embroiled in war, and too many people have a bomb, who knows what's coming ahead? We don't know. But as for us and our house, we're going to tell everybody everything from the housetops. Jesus came into the world to give his life as a ransom for our sins. The Heavenly Father sent him. The Holy Spirit empowered him. And then he turned around and said, where's my church? Where are my people? And who will take a stand for my kingdom? It starts right here in your own life. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to be in the presence of Jesus? Do you know that for sure? You say, well, I, I don't know. I, I grew up in church. Did that work? No. 
Well, I go to church. Does that work? No. Well, I believe in Jesus. Does that work? No. Well, what do you mean? That doesn't work. No, you not just believe in him, but you trust him, that you invite him into your life and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. That's all he asks. Just open up, Bob. Open up and say, okay, Lord, here's the deal. No matter how much church you have in the background, no matter how much church has burned you, no matter how many Christians have done foolish things and will continue to do so because they're human, all of the excuses that you used for not giving Jesus a chance hold no water. The only thing you have to do is just be open and honest right here, right now. Say, why? Well, I, 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 I thought I did that in the past. I, they prayed over me when I was a baby. I was baptized as a child. I don't care what you've done. The question is this. Do you know where you're going when you die? Because if you don't know where you're going when you die, you know about Jesus, but you haven't received him. And that's all he wants. For you to say, no matter what God does, I want to see. Come into my life, Jesus. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to know what that old man's talking about. I want to know if it's true. That's all I want to know. If what he says is true, I mean, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? All you have to do is say, okay, Jesus. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to forgive me for the way I've been living my life, and I need help to live my life. I want a new life. I don't want to live this way anymore. That's all you need to do. And then when you do, he comes in. That's the kingdom of God. The question is, do you know where you're going? when you die. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, I would ask you at this moment, Holy Spirit, for any who may not know and are may unsure, would you help them with this decision? I want to ask you this simple question. If you don't know where you're going when you die, and please, with every head bowed and every eye closed, pray, saints, pray. No one else is looking but me. If you don't know where you're going, if you were to die today, and you want to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you simply, as I come down your aisle, look up at me, and you look up at me until I point at you, and I see your eyes. And that's your way of saying, that's me, Pastor. I want that. I need that. Don't miss this chance. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this chance over here. Son, are you looking at me for that? No? Yes? No? You're not sure? Ma'am, is that what you want? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Back here. Ma'am, is that what you want? God bless you. Proud of you. Keep praying, saints. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. People are at a point of decision over here, down the middle aisle. That's nice. Look at me. Look square in the eye contact. Got to be eye contact. 
Keep praying, church. Keep praying. Don't miss this chance, please. I'm asking you. It's not going to cost you anything. Back over here. If you're not sure and you want to be sure, don't miss this chance one more time. Over here. Is that what you want? God bless you, man. Over here. Okay, church, look up. Here we go. We're going to pray with two people. How many of you know everything we've ever done as a church in the last 50 years is worth these two people? You got that? So let's pray out loud. Everybody, including those who looked up at me, pray this. Father, in Jesus' name, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe he died on the cross, shed his blood to forgive me of all my sins. And I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be born again in Jesus' name. Welcome to the family of God. Now, there's one last price to this. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be, I'm, 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 I, I didn't get it, and I won't stand for you. So if you're ashamed of the decision, then you won't stand. But if you're willing to admit the decision, and you looked up at me, stand. God bless you, man. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. We're proud of you. Amen. You can be seated. See, that's worth it. That's worth it. Two more people are going to be in glory. Angels are writing their names down in the book of life. And we're going to be there and celebrate with them. And now we have two more warriors. Give God one more good praise. Would you stand? Okay, there are going to be people up here this morning on this green line. If you have a need, physical, emotional, whatever the case is, spiritual, and you have a need and you need prayer, there are going to be people on this side of the line to pray for you. So get a hold of a hoof, a paw, or a claw. Okay? Father, we thank you for your word and your faithfulness. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us be the people you want us to be. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We love you.